Okay, so, Simeon, I love that, uh, that song you did this morning. His voice is heard through the power of his word. <laughs> I enjoyed that very much. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to listen. His voice will be heard through the power of his word. We've been talking about choosing joy in the midst of our mess. We've had a look at the first three chapters of the book of Philippians. And uh, today we're going to have a look at Philippians 4. Just to remind you that the Bible has lots to say about joy. And the joy it speaks about is the joy that we find in Jesus. It's not the joy we find in having enough money or the joy we find in having health or the joy we find in having friends. It talks about joy in, in that joy we find in God, not in our circumstances. Because the Apostle Paul, as he writes this little letter to the book of Philippi, he is chained to Roman gods 24 hours of every day. He never gets to walk outside. He never gets to stretch his legs. He's in chains with a potential death sentence over his head. So if there's anybody who's got a reason to complain, it's Paul. And yet in this little book, 16 times you find the word joy or rejoice. So we can learn something about putting our trust and faith in Jesus for our joy and not our circumstances. In chapter 1, we had a look at partnerships, positivity and purpose as joy bringers. In chapter 2, we spoke about solidarity, selflessness and shining, bringing us joy. And then last week, we spoke about rejoicing in the Lord. So we're rejoicing not in anything else, but in the Lord we spoke about relying on grace and the joy that grace gives us because we can't add anything to this gospel. We can't bring any goodness of our own. It's all about what he's done and that brings me joy. And then we also spoke a bit about reaching for the goal. So today we'll read chapter 4 and then I'm going to share another three joy bringers from chapter 4 as we conclude this little series of ours. So I'm reading from chapter 4 and we'll pick it up from verse 2. It says, I plead with Eudoia, Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Once again, talking about unity. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. There were two women <laughs> having a disagreement here, Ken, did you notice that? <laughs> then he says, <laughs> I'm not even going to look at Anusha because she's giving me the hairy eyeball now. <laughs> then he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. How often? Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to talk a little bit about worry a little bit later, but I just want to pause and tell you there was this guy who got his entire left side cut off. But you mustn't worry, he's all right now. 
all right. <laughs> all right. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Note the context of that verse. People use this verse out of context all the time. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Well, if you are over 40, go and try and study medicine. You can't. You know? If you are... Uh, Whatever, you know, whatever your limitations are, we try and impose this verse onto uh, our situation and we quote it like a sick parrot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's actually got nothing to do with my things. It's got to do with whether I've learned to be content in every circumstance. So that's what it's talking about. And perhaps we've got to look at these circumstances in which we are discontent and start saying, I need to become content, because only then can I do all things through Christ, who gives me the strength to do it. Amen? Nothing to do with today's message, but just a little sign. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, verse 14. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Seems like we've got heavenly bank accounts that God is watching over as we give. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, acceptable, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Again, the context of the verse is these people who were giving. <laughs> so to go around and quote, my God will meet all my needs and you're not faithful in giving, you've missed the context of the verse. See how it works? To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he gives some greetings. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that your powerful voice would be heard through your powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> three more lessons in joy 
this morning. And the first lesson is that of communion. And again, I've tried to make three C's so you can remember it. Communion, not in this sense necessarily, but in the sense in which we communicate with God. In other words, prayer. We commune with God. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, whatever position you're in right now, and I know there's at least one person carrying a huge burden today. Whatever that is, I can tell you the Lord is near. He's here with us. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, in that circumstance, in that negative event, in that burden that you carry, in that place you find yourself in, he says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So hot on the heels of rejoice is tell God what you need in a spirit of thanksgiving. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice now. The Lord is near. So you can tell Him everything that you need. Tell Him all your issues, all your needs, all your hurts, all your heartaches, all your concerns. But do it in a spirit of thanksgiving. There's a key there. See, He knows our needs. But He wants us to hear them. He wants to hear them. And He wants us to hear them. And when I thought about this, I thought, Lord, this doesn't make sense. Because you said you know a need before it's on our tongue. Why must I still speak it? And this is what I've, I believe the Lord, this is the reason I believe the Lord wants us to tell Him our needs. Number one, because I'm telling them to the God of this universe, indicating my entire dependence upon Him. So I'm hearing myself saying, I need God. He knows what I'm going to say. He knows your hurt, your need, your situation, whatever it is. He knows that. But He wants me to say it so that I can know He is God. And the second reason I believe He wants me to say it is because then when I hear that need, I can weigh it against the promises that He has already made to fulfill that need. It puts it in perspective, you see. So this isn't some psycho babble, power of positive thinking that I'm making here. Some positive confession that I make over and over. I can do all things in Christ to strengthen me. I can do all things in Christ. It's not one of those sort of mantras that the church has over the years taught us to make erroneously. But I'm speaking my need based upon what He has done and what He has said. So our first lesson is communicating or connecting or communing with Him through prayer. Now that word anxious is an interesting one in the Greek language. It, it means to be literally pulled in different directions. If you can think of an elastic band 
that you pull like this. And then you get somebody else to pull it like that. And then you get somebody else to pull it like that. And then somebody else to pull it like that. I mean, eventually you're going to break that elastic band. And sometimes as human beings, we feel like that. I can't take this anymore. I'm so frustrated. It's now 356 and a half hours I've been in the shopping mall. You know, told you about my shopping experience last week and my, my favorite pharmacist sends me a picture. I forgot to tell you, Rose. She sends me a picture of, what is it? Allergex. <laughs> she says, this will help you to shop longer with Rose. <laughs> yeah, I know. Rose, Rose rebuked me when I got home. I wasn't shopping for her. We were shopping for Simeon. And he wasn't even there. You owe me one. <laughs> so this word means to be pulled, literally, in different directions. And, and Paul says to the Philippians, do not be pulled in different directions. Don't allow it. See, our hopes pull us one way, our fears pull us the other way, and eventually we feel like we want to pop. Anxiety has definite physical consequences. Headaches, neck pains, ulcers, blood pressure. I'm on blood pressure medication. Don't think it's for anxiety. I like to think it's in the genes, although I don't even accept that. I'm coming off that one day too, believe me. Worry affects our thinking. It affects our digestion. It even affects our coordination. Worry can make you dizzy in your head and cuckoo in your in your whatever, in your actions towards other people. Worry is bad. Which is why Jesus said, do not worry about anything. In fact, He said, do not worry about tomorrow because He knows how much tomorrow brings worries in today. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Paul says, don't, be, don't worry about anything, but in everything. So it's one of the greatest enemies of joy, and it's perhaps the place to start when you haven't got joy in your life. Ask yourself the question, am I worried about anything? Is it my health? Is it my job? Is it my promotion? Is it my, you know, whatever, my family? Is it, what am I worried about? Because if I'm worried, joy is going to dissipate. But Paul gives us the cure for worry. He says, instead of worrying about everything, Pray. We used to sing a song, Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus. He will lead the way. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Just lean upon His promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? Two parts to the prayer. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done and everything He will do. You see, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, through Christ, the Amen is spoken by us to His glory. We, we are Amen in His promise. That's why I say, God wants us to speak these things out. Because as I speak them out, I can hear them and I weigh them against the promises that He has already made. And I will quickly come to realize that God has covered that. 
Oh, I'm worried. I don't know where I'm going to get food from. He said, hey, look at the birds. You know, what are you worried about? Look at the birds. Your Father in heaven feeds them. Why are you worried? Oh, I don't know what I'm going to wear. Men, how many times have you heard that from your wives? More than once? More than a million times? You know, Colin, how many times in 50 years? <laughs> what am I going to wear? I've got nothing to wear. Nothing. And there's six cupboards full. <laughs> 452 pairs of shoes. I've got no shoes to wear. <laughs> that's not my wife. That's your wife. My wife's not like it. <laughs> <laughs> so telling God and thanking Him are essential to experiencing joy. Because as I tell Him about my need, I think about the promises that He's made, and then I realize they are all true in Christ. And it's up to me to agree with them. It's all I've got to do is come into agreement with God that what He said is true. And then my worry's got to go. If my worry stays, it means that I don't trust Him. If my worry doesn't go, it means because I've, I've chosen to believe that worry more than I've chosen to believe God. And we like that, all of us, I'm sure. At some stage, we hold on to that worry. When Paul says, don't hold on to it. It's pulling you apart. It's literally breaking you into pieces. Don't worry about it. Just tell Him about your need. With thanksgiving, because He has promised. This isn't psychobabble. This isn't trying to make yourself better. It's believing that God is God, and that what He has promised is true. And now I just simply have got to trust Him. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then that's another whole psychobabble thing. Oh, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to have faith. But that's not the whole verse. The rest of the verse says, because anyone who comes to me, comes to him, must believe that he exists and that he, he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's what faith is. Believing that God is who he says he is. And then simply believing his promises. Man, this makes it so easy. And yet we mess it up so often. When you share your troubles with God and you fill your heart with thankfulness, it pushes all of those negative emotions, all of that stress, that worry, that frustration, it pushes it away. Worry and joy cannot coexist. Now, what does God want me to have? Does God want me to have worry or God does God want me to have joy? He wants me to have joy. So what do I have to do? I've got to deal with worry so that I can have joy. Gratitude, unfortunately, thankfulness, doesn't come naturally to most people. There are some unique individuals who can thank you or are thankful about anything. I mean, you meet them sometimes along the road of life. And sometimes they're quite irritating because they've just so arrived. <laughs> they're just so, they're so further close to where God wants you, then, then you, you feel like you are at the time. But people are just gr grateful. They are genuinely grateful. They wake up in the morning, they're grateful. Whether their, their porridge is cold or not, they're grateful. You know? 
whether there's a puncture when they come out to, to drive to work or the taxi's late or it doesn't matter what it is. They are just grateful people and man are they joyful. Happy people, fulfilled people, content people. A person who is content will always be a grateful person. A person who is discontent will be filled with anxiety and worry and everything else that, that besets us. Is that a word? Is beset a word, us as human beings? Now, we've got to be intentional about being grateful, about being thankful. We've got to focus on what we do have. We've got to, if you like, train in gratitude. But 1 Peter says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Then He says, be, now that's one thing we can say. That's another thing. Cast all your anxieties and cast all your anxieties. But the rest of the verse says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Where does the enemy start devouring? In anxiety. In worry. Which is only there because of a lack of gratitude. So we love to say, oh, the devil did this, or the devil's attacking me, or the devil that, or the devil. I mean, just by saying that, I can hear, you're, you, you're quite right. The enemy has prowled around, and he has attacked you, and he has destroyed you, because all you're talking about is negative thoughts, anxious thoughts. Oh, the devil this and all oh, the devil that and all oh, the devil the next thing. Just now you're going to write a song to praise the devil. The way we keep going sometimes about what the devil does. I refuse to talk about the pig. I won't. I want to focus on what God has done for me. So I know I have an enemy and I know he is the devil. I know he is the serpent of old. And I know he's looking for somebody to devour. And I know that someone is me. If he can rob me of my joy by replacing my joy with anxiety, by getting rid of my gratitude and my thankfulness, he can give me my anxiety and my worry straight back. And I take it. Oh, the devil's attacked me. So Peter, say, uh, Peter says, cast all your anxiety, all of it, and then watch out. Watch out. Because the devil wants to give that back to you. The best way to keep it away is through gratitude. We are devoured by our own ingratitude. So communion with God is that ability to cast our care on Him, to give Him thanks, with thanks. And herein lies our real key to joy. I'm telling you, a person who's full of gratitude will be full of joy. A person who's full of gratitude and joy will be a content person. A person who's full of gratitude, joy, and content will be someone who doesn't know much about anxiety and worry. Because they've given it to God, they've left it there, and they are trusting God to meet His promises that He has made in their life. Second lesson in joy is concentration. Every day, negative, hurtful, harmful thoughts, they come all by themselves. Every day, every one of us, at some point in the day, sometime, there will be some negativity that flies past our brain. True or false? 
mean, there might be some exceptions here. But you might just be sitting at work and somebody walks past and that person reminds you about somebody else who stole your boyfriend 42 years ago. <laughs> and you just feel, <coughs> you know. <laughs> you don't wake up and think, oh, I'm going to have an awful day today. Grumpy Ken? Never, eh? Never. I mean, you don't wake up in the morning and think, I'm just going to have an awful day. I'm going to choose to have an awful day today. It just, it just seems to evolve like that. I don't think I'm going to dig up the worst, most terrible, painful things to think about. On Mondays, that's what I do. On Fridays, I don't do it anymore because it's the weekend. But Mondays, I mean, those of you on Facebook will know Mondays, what they look like on people's Facebook things. It's just like, it's like they don't want to be alive anymore. It's so bad. And by Friday, I mean, they're giraffes looking over the top of all sorts of things. And, hey, Friday, I see Friday coming. And, oh. <laughs> so I think maybe on Monday, some people do choose to have awful days. But mostly bad thoughts just come on their own. They just arrive. You'll be in your middle of your day doing something. All of a sudden, some negative thought just stabs you. Perhaps an unresolved conflict Perhaps some negativity or past hurt. Maybe there's a disappointment that you've had in your life and you see somebody else succeeding and you're just not getting on. Or perhaps it's those old anxieties again. They just seem to come. And all of these are threats to steal our joy and peace of mind. But you know what? You don't have to concentrate on these things. You simply don't have to. You're a human being. You're not an animal that, that operates on instinct. I know some of you think your, your cats, cats are human. I know my dog is nearly human. But cats, hmm? they've got a long way to go. Yeah. Paul gives us eight thought filters. He says you don't have to concentrate on the negative. And he gives us eight filters through which we must pass every thought that comes our way. And these are the eight thoughts. These, these are the eight filters. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. Number one, is it true? Well, I'm not sure. Well, if you don't know it's true, don't think about it. Somebody said, I heard that somebody said something about me. And I'm so upset with that person. Is it true? Well, so-and-so told me that so-and-so told them that so-and-so had told somebody else that told them that told them that told them. And I heard that they don't like me. Sure. sure. That's how people behave. So is it true? If I don't know it's true, don't think about it. It's gone. Forget about it. Filter number one. Filter number two, whatever is noble. Do you know what noble means? It means that by birthright, you are aristocracy. And by birthright, we are children of the king. It also means to be highly principled and moral and all of those things, to be noble. But if something comes my way, and if it doesn't match the picture of Prince Paul, who is the son of the king of the universe, if it's not befitting of my noble position, then don't think about it. Filter number two. 
If it's not noble, get rid of it. Filter number three, whatever is right or righteous. Right. Is it right? Is it right to be thinking about it? What does God say? God says He'll care for me. So is it right for me to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow? That's wrong. Sorry, Lord, I won't think about that. It's not right. Filter number three. Yes, I'm already feeling happy. It's, al it's already making a difference in my life. Filter number four, whatever is pure. And pure means without, without blemish. I don't know about you, but King Williamstown water recently has been horrible. Has yours smelt like mud? Not. Where I live, it, smell, it smells, even when I shower, it smells like mud. And that's not just because I'm washing myself at the time. It's the water, it's the water that comes out. <laughs> it's, it's really... M so I've discovered this filter at, uh, at Spogs in Beacon Bay. I'm telling you this in case anybody else got mud at home. It's easy to install. It's a five-phase filter. It cost me only 670 rand. The things only have to be replaced every year or so. And it makes that water taste better than anything you've ever tasted. There's no smell. There's no taste. It's pure. So I don't want the muddy water coming into my body anymore. It makes me feel sick if I smell it. And I'm now drinking this pure water. These thoughts that come into my head, are they pure? Or are they, have they got sediment in and and mosquitoes, and that was filter number four. Number five, whatever is lovely. Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? And is it praiseworthy? We can go through each one of these. Paul says, filter it through those eight things. And then if it's still okay, think about it. It's going to change your life. Take those filters, write them on your computer at work. Write them on your Dashboard, just don't cover your speed up. Write them somewhere where you can see, you know. Talking about cars and dashboard and worry, there's this guy who was uh, busy changing some brake oil, a motor technician, changing brake oil, and he got a taste of it, and he spat it out, and then he thought, oh, that actually doesn't taste so bad. So he, um, he, Simeon, why don't you fix this up for me? So he uh, had some more, and eventually he was drinking brake oil all day. So his fellow um, technicians came to him once and said, Hey, George, we're a bit worried about you drinking brake oil. I think you're addicted. And George turned around and he says, Don't worry, I can stop any time. <laughs> if you didn't get it, breakthrough. Okay. <laughs> so Paul reminds us that much of our peace and happiness in life depends on our own thoughts, the things we choose to dwell on and to think about. Think means to mull over, to literally chew the cud. Think about the things that are good and godly that God wants us to think about. That's what our minds should do with good thoughts. Norman Vincent Peale, he was an American uh, uh, minister, and he also wrote a book, called The Power of Positive Thinking and Other Things. He wrote, Our happiness depends on the habit of mind we cultivate. Change your thoughts and you change your world. 
change your thoughts and you change your world. And friends, that takes concentration. So if you want joy, concentrate on the right thing. Lastly, Jesus. Paul's final summation. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. The ultimate secret to happiness is Jesus. Otherwise, you are reduced to psychobabble. Psychology is going to help you. It's going to give you keys by which you can live. It's going to give you mechanisms to help you cope. But nothing is going to give you joy like Jesus and knowing Jesus. So all of what we're talking about today becomes irrelevant if we don't know and if we don't have Christ. Paul was full of joy because he knew that no matter what happened to him, and Tani Anaki, you said that just now. You knew He was there. He was with you. In that crisis, in that ambulance, in that hospital, He was with you. And people don't understand when you can say, in the midst of the most severe crisis, you still have joy. It doesn't make sense. Nobody can explain it. But we can. His name is Jesus. He has promised never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Ish. He said, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Does Jesus want me joyful? Does God want me full of joy? Does He want me overflowing with joy irrespective of my situation or my circumstances? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Why? Well, Jesus was full of joy. And if I'm full of Jesus, I'm going to be full of joy. We don't understand that He wants us happy. Scriptures like Luke 10, 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy. Through the Holy Spirit. You have loved righteousness and hate wickedness, speaking about Jesus. Therefore God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with an oil of joy. Jesus had a specific anointing of joy. Sometimes the church has portrayed Jesus as the sane, sober, sad, serious guy who walked around all the time. That's just not true. Jesus was full of joy. And He wants us to have His joy. So I'm, uh, yeah, I've said that. Jesus was and is, is a man of infectious joy. When He came into this world, He gave us a reason to rejoice. Bad things will happen. Stuff drags us down. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Cheer up, He's saying. I've overcome this world. He's saying, I want you to have joy. You're going to have bad stuff, but you're going to have my joy if you remain in me. So this is a joy. He is a joy bringer deluxe. For example, Jesus steps into a boat, crosses over, comes to his, his hometown, 
Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart! Here's a dose of joy for you. That's what it means. Here's a guy who's paralyzed. And Jesus said to him, Be joyful. Be joyful. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. And we know the rest of that story. The one with a hole in the roof with the other gospels. So we have very limited control over our circumstances. We don't know what 2020 looks like. We don't know the next few months or the next few years. We don't know the next few minutes of today. We don't know what the rest of the day is going to be. We don't know anything. What it's going to bring to our homes, our families, our lives. We don't know if we're all going to be here at the end of this year. We don't know if we're all going to be here at the end of this month. We don't know anything. But we do know one who gives us joy. And His name is Jesus. In all the storms of life, we can hear the joyful voice of Jesus saying, Cheer up! Smile! Take heart! I'm here for you and I love you. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus I want to know. That's the Jesus I want to serve. That's the Jesus who's forgiven my sin. That's the Jesus who came and died and was buried and rose again. That's the Jesus who's coming back. Is the one who's full of joy. And wants us to know the joy. So Paul calls on us to focus on Christ for our joy. Choosing joy in the midst of our mess in 2020. Communion, prayer with thanksgiving, concentration. Only think about the stuff that passes that filter. And Christ, the man of joy who lives inside of us. Let us pray.